0: Hi everybody and welcome. That's a nice opening. Hi everybody and welcome once again to the Mental Health Mood. Let's try it again. You have to embrace your mistakes. There'll be a lot of them. Welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. My co-host Jennifer Kalari will be along in just a minute. And we are the show that tries to turn mental health into a verb. We talk about mental health issues, but we also practice mental health skills because what you do in every moment, every day matters. The choices that you make matter. And uh, there's something that can always be done, you know? And uh, I know it's, it feels like craziness. And the world is certainly feels like it's crazy. But there's also a lot of amazing things that are going on in every moment. Not right now, but in every moment. Coming up on our show, I'm really excited to have these two very talented uh, guests. There is a great book that was written by Karen Duffy and co-written by Francis Gasparini. It is called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. It is spectacular. Karen and Francis have amazing backgrounds in all areas of the entertainment world and the arts. Karen is a best-selling author, uh, New York Times best-selling author. Francis is a filmmaker and producer and writer, has worked with Michael Moore, worked on many different documentaries, series like The Osbournes. Karen was in the movie Dumb and Dumber. The, the range of stuff that this woman has done, she's also a former mermaid queen of Coney Island and an MTV VJ. So you're in for a real, this is going to be a real adventure. I listened to the book, and when I listened to it, it's very inspiring. Funny, inspiring, just beautifully written letters to her son about life and about living. It really has inspired me. That's all I have. I want to tell you about the show today because we're always sponsored by someone, and today is no different. Today's show is sponsored by You Smell you smell is a new service that curates comforting childhood smells with aromatherapy with you smell aromatherapy says you haven't lost that love and feeling just inhale and you can get it back just to where you once belonged get back jojo with collections like play-doh empowerment lunchbox lavender easy bake oven devil's food frankincense fresh cut grass ginger and your mother's perfume peppermint you can get back to the childhood happiness with you smell now we always like to welcome listeners no matter what emotional state you're in here are emotional shout outs if you watch the january 6 congressional hearings and you need a colander for your head because you're mentally drained welcome if you're ready for a discovery plus diy mental renovation show called flip my mood welcome if you identify as a mammal welcome And if you're beating yourself up, even now, there's always a place for you right here on Mental Health Comedy Podcast. And right now, it's time for the Nefertiti of the neocortex, the Mother Teresa of the midbrain, and the Rihanna of resilience, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, welcome to the program.
1: I love it. Every week now, there's new ones.
0: Yes. I love it. Every week is fresh. It's new. There's a a fabric softener in it. Every day we stir it up, we launder it. Okay. Now, Jennifer, you know, I, I wanted to talk today a little bit about the choices that we make in every moment and also how you go from survival mode into being fully alive. And also, do you have a life philosophy? It's hard to have a life philosophy when you're in survival mode. You can't really access, you're not in your higher brain at that point. And a lot of the world is in that state. Mm-hmm. But how can we make the switch? That's
1: a good question. Well, and the, and the thing about worry and anxiety is it it takes you out of the moment. So you're trying to go for a walk, or you're trying to have a meal with your family, and you're in your head, worrying about things and thinking about things, and you're you're constantly in this place where you're kind of in your own head and disconnected from the people you love around you and the things that can actually really make you happy. So. It's sort of like having to be in this constant tug of war where you're constantly trying to activate your own frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that, you know, makes decisions, takes perspective, plans, inhibits, motivates, all of that. And it's the part of your brain that goes, okay, is this really an emergency? Is this really as bad as I think it is? Is there really anything I can do about this right now? It's also the part of the brain that can go, okay, you know what? Humans, we, we basically are these beings that have thousands of years of programming about survival. We wouldn't be here without it. We're walking around with these incredible brains, but a, a lot of it is like monkey brain. Like it's just telling us to fight, flight, or freeze all the time. And so it's this constant battle between using your frontal lobe, which keeps you in the here and now. Reminds you of the strategies you've been using and not floating off into space, into no worrying, anxiety, anger, everything else. So I guess it's really about moment to moment. And here's the thing, like people are worrying anyways. So if you're thinking in ways that actually help you not to worry, you're doing the same amount of work and you're going to feel better right? So every few minutes, it's like, what am I doing? Okay, I need to be present. Let's look at my feet. Let's feel the sand that I'm walking on. Let's, let's feel the temperature that's around me, how, how lucky I am to be with my family. Everything is okay right now. If I have time to worry right now, I'm okay. If you're really in an emergency, you're running. You can't even think. So it's just finding this constant way, we call it standing in a canoe, to stay present in the moment and keep your frontal
0: lobe on. So keep the light on, keep the pilot light on uh, mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. I, I, and I think just, just noticing it. And I think all, a lot of the time we think we have to do these amazing things and really it's very small things, very specific very things. Small sometimes things, moment
1: to moment, right? Yeah. If you can distract your brain for five minutes yeah. and think about something else and then you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it, you're going to build neural pathways. You're going to help teach your brain that you control your emotions instead of the other way around.
0: We're going to get a driver's license test for your brain. You yeah. because everybody has to drive their brain and you can drive it in all kinds of directions. I'm used to using it against myself, um, but that power if I if it goes in a different direction. You
1: turn it the other way.
0: I'm going to the moon. I'm going yes. to the moon. Wow, a lot of this shit that happens that goes the other way, you know. It's amazing how you can you can alchemize mm-hmm. any thought and have a relationship. And one of the things that, and we're going to, we're going to bring on our guests because I want to talk to, to Karen and Francis about the idea of writing letters. That idea that you can write a letter to anyone or anything.
1: I love you that. You can
0: write a letter to your emotions. You yep. can write a letter to your thoughts. It's not a one-way conversation
1: ever. Oh, I love that. I love that. I often have kids that I work with when they have to go somewhere and they're afraid to go after they go, to write, a, sit down and write a letter. Hey, me, this is me who just went to gym class, or this is me who just came home from whatever. Uh, I had fun. I went to school. You can do it. So that it's not from mom. It's not from a therapist. It's from themselves. I love it.
0: That's a great thing to do. And you can, you can say, dear anxiety. You can say, dear mm-hmm. anger. You can say, dear uh, whatever. Now, it, there might be postage due, <laughs> but you can say whatever you want uh, to yourself. And it matters. Without further ado, I'm happy to welcome to the show, if they're still here, a terrific writer, terrific writer, beautifully written book called Wise Up, a reverent enlightenment from a mother who's been through it, to her son, Jack, writing these letters. It's just spectacular. Things are said like, you've heard the phrase, you only live once. Well, actually, you live every day. You only die once. I, I love that. I love that. And that's Karen Duffy is here. And also, along with Karen, co-writer, an old friend who I'm thrilled to talk to, um, a producer, a writer, a very talented guy, uh, Francis Gasparini. Karen and Francis, first of all, um, how are you doing? Let me check in with you. What's going on with you uh, today?
2: Well, thank you so much, Ed. And hello, Jennifer. And hello, beautiful people. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, write it on your heart that every day is the best day of the year. Mm. I think that's a great idea. I don't think it's always going to happen, but so we're giving it a shot. And I'm very happy to be here with my collaborator of 25 years, Francis. Hi there. Hello.
0: Wow, Francis, I'm so glad that you took a shower for this. (laughs) (laughs) Francis, first of all, you wrote this book together, you collaborated during the first year of COVID. So I don't know how that goes. How does that, how how does that happen?
3: Well, uh, we had already begun work on the book. I think we really started in earnest in December and Duff is in New York and I'm in Los Angeles. So we would sort of collaborate a little bit in person. All of a sudden we got shut in, you know, we literally had nothing else to do. And I said, Duff, why don't we work on this book? And then Duff, who is, um, I don't think either of us are very tech savvy necessarily, but Duff said let's use google docs so we can collaborate in real time as we talk on facetime that turned out to be an incredibly great collaborative process and collaborative tool creatively and also it was for me at least and and duff can chime in but um for me just the the process of the work of thinking about stoic concepts and making them entertaining and relatable it was a distraction but also it brought home some of the ideas that we're talking about in the book, to me, very forcefully. And one of the most powerful ones, of course, is you can't control what happens. You can only control how you react to it. And here we were stuck inside because of COVID, which we could not control. And our reaction to it was to write a book.
0: Well, people don't really know about Stoicism these days. I mean, the the culture at large and Stoicism, the word Stoic took on like kind of a negative sort of somebody who doesn't do anything. You're Stoic.
2: Yeah, there's a difference between the small s Stoic, which essentially means the stiff upper lip, and then Stoa in Greek means porch. And so the great minds, the Stoic philosophers, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, Zeno of Sintium, they all met in a porch in Athens. So they didn't hide their academy away from the people. The idea was that the porch was open to everyone. So it's interesting that it has taken on this idea of uh, essentially managing your emotions until you're Sawdust, but that's not. I, both Francis and I deeply believe that Stoic philosophy is a radiant, practical uh, school of thought that will help you squeeze as much as you can out of life.
0: Yeah, that's this is really amazing because Marcus Aurelius, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. If I I had one quote, that's the quote, that's a life uh, philosophy right there in action. And I love it. I I've loved it since I was a kid. How did you come upon this? How did you learn about these things? You know, how are you passing it on to your kids?
2: Francis and I have been collaborators since the I think mid to late 90s and we've worked on several books together and every book that we have written we have touched down on stoic philosophy. 20 years ago, when we had our New York Times bestselling uh, book, Model Patient, that was there was a lot of Marcus Aurelius within that book. What, what's been interesting, um, Ed, is that stoicism has been somewhat co-opted by the tech bros. It's almost like broicism. And Francis and I wanted to have a more... It, it, it's a, our book isn't about life hacks. Our book is about embracing the beauty of life. And as Epictetus says, if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. Hmm.
0: So fantastic. A lot of parents are trying to get their kid off their phone. How do you take that, take that, that those kinds of life issues with your son and, and France is the same with your daughter. How do you elevate these issues to a bigger place about like, interpreting things and and learning things from classic philosophy literature, having big ideas about how great life is.
2: In our house, we have a no tech at the table rule. You know, if you don't feel like talking, there's the sports pages, and then we have a stack of philosophy books. And that's been going on since my kid was maybe in third or fourth grade. What was really beautiful is that as he grew he would then say to me, well, you know, mom, as Aristotle said, worry is misuse of the imagination. So that's been one thing that's worked very well for us is just having this time with no tech. What about you, Francis?
3: I'm pretty lucky in that Maria is incredibly sensible, much more so than I ever have been at any point in my life. We do talk about stoic precepts, such as uh, you can't control what happens. You can only control how you react to it i think she kind of has an innate sense of it i think what really resonated with maria was when we were writing the book uh, as you know ed uh, there's all kinds of fun anecdotes and crazy stories that we use to kind of get at the points we want to make and so i would talk about those at the dinner table and for example talk tell her the story of virginia hall the one-legged spy who crossed the Pyrenees and filed down her teeth so she could look like a, an old French peasant to spy on the Nazis. And I think those tales of resilience and looking within and people who trod their own path are what really um, inspired and elevated Maria uh, from this book.
0: Speaking of this kind of storytelling, like the story that you just told, this is spectacular. This is great great work. And these people, you know, everyone who came before us lived a life and there's great knowledge and great information in the people who lived. I think you say this much more eloquently than I am, uh, Karen, in the book, uh, what your son is inheriting. And talk about writing letters to him in this book, uh, Wise Up. Is that something that you've, you've always done or is it something that you did specifically for this?
2: I've always written letters in a book before he was born. And when he was a baby, I had a, a blank book and I just wrote letters to him because I figured he doesn't have any siblings. So he can you know, go, use this for research backstory. But what's interesting is Francis and I originally wrote this book as a collection of essays, kind of very loosely in the beginning. And then we made the decision, uh, Seneca, one of the Stoic philosophers, he is well known for his masterwork called um, Letters to a Young Stoic. We thought we really wanted the reader to feel embraced by love. I wanted it to be like, like, like sparking off the pages. So I asked my son, hey, can we use you as a way, as a stand-in for the reader, he said, yes. And he said, but don't use my nicknames. Like I'm proud of what you and Francis are writing. So use my real name. And what's interested is that um, in France, if a parent posts anything about their child on social media without their permission, the child can then sue the parent for breach of privacy. So I made sure that Jack was okay, that we used him as a device for our book.
0: You checked in with him. He was yes. he was calling a lawyer, and then he put the phone down. <laughs> Jennifer, I want to bring you into this. Sure. How do you use letter writing with uh, the work that you do with with families, and also this idea of, you know, you talk about the frontal lobe. This this is all very high minded mm-hmm. type of philosophy, but living it, bringing it into the into the life, into the world, into the everyday is so fantastic. I feel like it's something so fresh. I love I love hearing this.
1: Oh, I love it. I was enjoying this interview so much, I forgot that I was in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh wait, I'm in this. Um, I love Welcome. it. and I, I love the idea of like books at the table and magazines at the table and real discussions and that's where all your general knowledge comes from and it's real and it's, it's based in conversation and when kids learn stuff from a phone, They're getting dopamine when they learn it from their parents, they're getting serotonin Mm -hmm. and they are powerful reward chemicals and those things get coupled. So I've, I've just been loving everything that I'm hearing. The ways that I use letter writing, I mean, I gave one example already with kids writing letters to themselves, but I'll often have kids either write letters or journal and my parents as well that I work with. To have a journal where they kind of, you know, just bitch about life and the stuff that they want to kind of complain about. And then one journal is literally just from the higher voice, from your higher self. Wisdoms and ideas and comfort that you give yourself from this kind of higher perspective. And people are always so blown away by the amazing words they can write. And this inner wisdom that we're all walking around with that we just don't trust or it gets drowned out or we don't pay attention to. And people can get so deeply, you know, in their own heads. And and I mean, this is not a surprise to anyone. Mental health issues are out of control right now. Kids are really struggling. People are struggling with anxiety, uh, you know, emotional regulation, all kinds of things. But you you can learn slowly and carefully and in very loving little ways to talk to your brain, right? Mm-hmm. To change those pathways, to be aware, to observe, to notice, and not in a mean way. Oh, look at me being an idiot talking about what's wrong again. It's just, oh, yeah, there I'm doing that thing again. Interesting how that always happens. And what else is happening now? And it's just this sort of gentle way of, of being curious and aware of your own thoughts.
0: If you had this way to tap into classic philosophy or ancient wisdom, if you had a shorthand, it would be so fantastic. For people to do because they wouldn't have to do any of the stuff in between. It would just take you right up into your your high mind itself. Yeah. It just takes you there. These quotes take you there right away. So Karen, you had the books at the table, but obviously you live these precepts. You live this kind of philosophy. How has it helped you in your own life? And you know, how? And Jack, I'm sure it's, it's just witnessed this because you can say a lot of things but they watch how you are.
2: You know, it's been interesting. I live with a rare disease and I have chronic pain. And I have found that stoic philosophy has been as ameliorative as MS Contin and gabapentin. Mm-hmm. You know, books aren't just lifeless lumps of paper. They are radiant minds alive on the shelf Mm-hmm. Francis and I talk a lot about bibliotherapy, which essentially is the novel cure. Florence Nightingale during the Crimean War, she was the one who brought in sanitary practices, but also a library for the soldiers on the battlefield. And so my kid has seen me live with chronic pain his entire life. And I think what's been interesting is that what we, we believe is that Pain is inevitable. We will all experience pain, but at some point suffering can be optional. So while I live with a degenerative neurological condition, I'm not suffering. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm negotiating with it. And Stoic philosophy has taught me so much to pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. I have just loved working with Francis every day it has been a joy. Someone we actually don't know but read the book took one of the quotes, and when she died, our words are on her memorial. Wow. That's pretty incredible.
3: Yeah, this is from our earlier book, Backbone. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow,
0: wow, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a living thing. When you hear these quotes, it's a living thing. Uh, it's alive. All of it is alive. I'm trying to picture the the bedtime stories that go on in your houses. It's not one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, um, although it might be, but but it's it's laced with other things. Did you read to your daughter, Francis when, when she was a kid? And do you still read aloud in the house?
3: Very much so. Um, the, the reading aloud in the house these days consists of uh, playing Sherlock Holmes consulting detective as a family, which requires a lot of reading of clues out loud. But I, I think it's so interesting what Jennifer was saying about writing and writing letters. I mean, I, as I was kind of saying before, I think the process of writing this book helped, you know, certainly me refine my philosophy, give me some guardrails to keep me going. You know, uh, Marcus Aurelius, his most his, his, his work is called Meditations, but really what it was, was a journal for himself in which he would write down these maxims over and over and in different ways to remind himself of how to keep going, to remind himself of how to do what he needed to do, to remind himself of, you know, how he how to take on the world. And I think that's I mean, it, it, in a way it's it feels very related to what you were talking about, Jennifer, which is mm-hmm. which is about just writing stuff down and you writing it down becomes a practice and that mm-hmm. practice becomes something you take into the world.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And he did this over 2000 years ago. Hello. Mm-hmm. Hello. Good afternoon
2: and it's still and it reads as if the ink is still wet that's the Amazing. beauty of stoicism is that it is this radiant practical philosophy that feels so contemporary
0: it's around you all the time and i love the story i heard this i heard you you talk about this uh, when i was living in new york i was always amazed in coffee shops about the fact that you could have a line of people and they would the people behind the counter would make your coffee the way you wanted it. And it was in a bag, like while you were saying what you wanted. Mm -hmm. They did it so fast and so efficiently. And then when you got the cup, you looked at the cup and it was like such frenetic activity. But there was something so humane about it because on the cup, it said, we're proud to serve you.
2: Mm.
0: Where does that come from, Karen?
2: Well, that's called the amphora, the traditional New York City Greek diner coffee cup was designed by a Holocaust survivor who had a cup business and he recognized that in the 50s that many of the diners in New York City were owned and operated by Greek families so in order to appeal to the Greek diner owners he made a coffee cup that looks very much with the g- colors of the Greek flag and the Greek key lettering and the amphora on um, the vase on it. So I just find it very charming that, you know, this was done for business. But again, just those words. We are proud to serve you. I mean, it it is, I think you know, words are incredibly powerful. When you think about it, we have this measly 26 letters in our alphabet, but then we line them up on a page. As Jennifer was saying, like words will squirt out oxytocin, Mm -hmm. dopamine, you know, serotonin and It's just a joy to just see those beautiful letters.
3: And it also really goes with one of the very important things, I think, that we have to say in the book, which is that being of service, not only is it a good in and of itself, but being of service will make you happy. Doing good Mm -hmm. in the world brings you joy. It brings other people Mm -hmm. joy and it brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's it's encapsulated in that paper coffee cup that you get at a Greek diner.
2: Marcus Aurelius said, a kindness to others is a kindness to yourself. And, you know, he was always talking about, like, be a friend to yourself. And again, this was 2,000 years ago. Marcus Aurelius said, like, you should worship the miracle that you have in your head, your mind. Like, it's so progressive and it's just so radiant. And that's the thing I love about it is that I think, you know, Francis and I just found the joy. Now, Francis and I have had the great honor to connect with many of the top Stoic philosophers in the world, they keep saying, like, "How come you and Francis find all the funny <laughs> stuff about stoicism?" And I was like, "Because that's yeah. what we look for—the
0: comedy and stoicism. That is a fantastic. <laughs> I want to go to that conference. That's a wonderful <laughs> that's conference. And true. I'm trying to pick the picture the sto the uh, stoicism conference. And you know, whether is, is there you know an ice cream social? Is there an icebreaker?
2: I've been to many of them, my love. I'm actually speaking this weekend on what Stoicism can teach us, and I'm speaking at Modern Stoics. It's great fun, and they do it online. It's a great opportunity to become less daft. (laughs) Every day we have a choice, you know, be useful or useless. And I try and take as many useful days as I can in a row.
0: I'm going to tap into that. I'm actually, I'm going to become a groupie. A stoic, stoic groupie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a lighter. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but I'm gonna do the wave in a philosophical dance of love. No, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but, but I, but I, I think it's fascinating. I used to go to Quaker meetings every week. Really, and I was fast. Oh yeah, I went to Longfellow House in Harvard uh, every week, and I was oh, thrilled yes. by travelers from all over the world and the philosophy of silence, being silent together. And then uh, speaking you know, when you, when you felt like something moved you to speak and how it affected how you could hear things because you were able to be silent in, in community with other people. Very interesting to me. And, and changed my week, changed my perspective, changed my life. I sit in silence now, but I wear headphones and I'm at a microphone. So it's not uh, the same. Jennifer, listening to this you know, are you going to bring uh, stoicism into your work? or You already do this. <laughs> you already no. do this work.
1: Okay, I, I keep forgetting that I'm part of this. I'm like writing stuff down. I've already looked up your podcast. Yeah. This sounds awesome. I mean, I, I want to know more about it. I definitely would want to bring it to what I do. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities already. So I love it.
0: And Karen, I'm going to ask you, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, and, and maybe both of you, but if you have a little something to read, because your reading is so amazing, um, I would love it.
2: I'm writing to you from a body that once carried the promise of yours. Now, when I embrace you, it feels like I'm hugging a bicycle, all muscle, and bone, sinew, and angles. The sharp blades of your shoulders, the stony protuberances of your elbows, the xylophone of ribs and the knots of spine are far from the soft squish of the 10 pound newborn that cannonballed out of the business end of the birth canal. You come from a long line of survivors. You are the latest link in an unbroken chain of ancestors. The Latin root for survive is super vivere, meaning to live beyond, live longer and continue in existence after the death of another. You are a descendant of people who've lived through all natural and man-made disasters, pandemics, cataclysm of all kinds. This is your genetic inheritance. You are humanity's greatest upgrade. You are a miracle, a wonder. You are 40 trillion cells thrumming with life force. There is an original, radiant, and unrepeatable brilliance within you. This is the raw material from which we shape our lives.
0: Absolutely amazing. Irreverent Enlightenment, just spectacular. I, I, I love that. That's Karen Duffy reading from her book and Francis Gasparini's book, Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who's Been Through It. That's to your son, Jack. Imagine uh, Jack's uh, feeling in, in, in listening to that. When he heard that, did he have a, re- a response to immediately uh, You know, hearing what you were working on?
2: Well, what's interesting is Francis had an idea that after jack reads the book then jack responds and writes a letter back the dean of oxford's philosophy who was reviewing the book he said you know there's a reason why seneca didn't include any of the responses from lucilius <laughs> who he was writing to in because jack augustine lambrose's his letter absolutely outshines all the others in the book. So that was a real treasure.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. You go to these conferences and you speak, but it sounds like, I mean, you're not speaking about it. You live it. This This is a life philosophy that's alive all the time. Is that what you go back to when you are struggling, Francis?
3: Well, I think Duff probably embodies these principles a lot more robustly than I do. I do find it useful to, you know, to come back to principles of stoicism just to remind myself if I sort of get into funk or start to veer away. I mean, in my daily life, you know, I'm not I'm not a perfect stoic. Duff probably is a perfect stoic. But I can come back to the principles and it's not, you know, it stoic philosophy is not about, you know, it, some of it is about the nature of existence, but a great deal of it is very very practical it's about how to live a good life how to live a moral life you know these are simple rules that can guide anybody and i find it pretty useful to have them in mind to steer me towards a better life
0: it makes so much sense i don't i have no further questions you're free to go <laughs> karen there are many communities i would imagine that actively live this where are they how would a listener get involved
2: modernstoicism.com is incredible I take courses several times a week through com, which is an, another great Stoic resource. Donald Robertson, an incredible philosopher, has a website, the Plato Academy Center. Pat Cash, the Wimbledon-winning tennis player, and Justin Stead run the Aurelia Society in mentoring. Francis and I are part of the Stoic Gym. So we have about, about eight big communities uh, stoic care there's a, so much out there and this is truly i think a, a renaissance in our time you know there's a spiritual equation that life is about 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond and as epictetus says we are the sum of our choices so having this framework really helps me make what i hope is the most noble, courageous choice. Think what, what we, Francis, what, we, just, we found the research like that the average person makes about 40,000 decisions a day. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are intuitive, but the big ones, like how much to tip the waiter? How many cannibals will my body <laughs> feed? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah.
0: I want to go back to how many cannibals would my body feed? <laughs> and I want to dwell on that for the next hour.
2: The average is eight. <laughs> good to know. So the average human body can feed um, about eight It's cannibals. good to know
0: that the body has a use.
2: <laughs> this is so
0: interesting. It's fantastic. Uh, Jennifer, I want to throw it back to you because uh, I'm wondering if there, are any, if there are any Stoic therapists out there who are going to call in. And if we had a live call in line, I'd be thrilled.
2: I would like to be one. I don't know. Actually, Jennifer, Stoic philosophy and the Stoic practices are often equated with cognitive behavioral Mm -hmm. therapy. And Donald Robertson, a therapist, is a stoic therapist. Wow. That's very
1: helpful because we do CBT all the time with our clients.
2: Yeah, he's the man. He's got a great new book coming out next month called *Permissius* about the early life of Marcus Aurelius. It's a graphic novel.
0: I want to see the series. I want to see. I love Yellowstone. But I really want to see the Marcus Aurelius show. I think it would be great. I wish he had his own late-night talk show and what that would be. The happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. We'll be right back.
3: <laughs> as thinking- a young man, as a young man, Marcus Aurelius slept on the ground, uh, wrapped in a wrapped in a blanket, because he felt that he didn't want to succumb to the um, you know to the soft life of a bed until his mother finally told him, Marcus, go back to bed. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. You know, this is how a person becomes emperor. You wonder what the path is, Mm -hmm. and this is part of the path. He was not able to access Discovery Plus, but he had Discovery (laughs) Plus. Hello, everybody. Oh, boy. Good afternoon. See you at the premiere. Karen, anything that you want to leave us with? First of all, they find the book and your other books uh, at Amazon, they find it everywhere. There's an audio book. It's, mm-hmm. it's the audio book is is wonderful too because you get to hear the kind of reading that you do with the with the incredible uh, writing that you have. The, the images are fantastic, and it's very literary at the same time, and it's irreverent. So you're managing like three things at the same time all the time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that we can that we can plug? Because I feel like people need to need to find everything that they can about you guys.
3: If you want to see what we're building online, Karen KarenDuffyStoic.com, or if you prefer, FrancisGasparini.com, we'll take you to our, our, uh, our growing website.
2: If Francis and I are contributing to many of the communities, Modern Stoicism, The Walled Garden, The Stoic Gym, you know, I just welcome you all um, because Stoicism has a truly reverberated through me in such a cataclysmic way, it just made things seem clear. We have a tradition in our family where we pick a motto and it's not a big deal, but, you know, and and my son has just graduated from high school and I keep thinking about Seneca who said, every new beginning comes at some other beginning's end. What a lovely way to kind of punctuation mark on this part of life, and then race toward the next part.
0: These people are so spectacular. And I think of Rumi like that as well, and some of the great poets. But Rumi has always been that, uh, that for me, uh, and so many other people. And I cannot believe that he's not, he is alive today, of course, but that he wrote this hundreds of years ago, and that Marcus Aurelius and all of the, all of the other great Stoics, that they lived so long ago, and it does sound like it just happened right now. So that is uh, that is fantastic. Sure. Well I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate uh, meeting you and talking to you in the first of many I hope look for the book look for the book. It is fantastic Karen Duffy and Francis Gasparini. wise up everybody. wise up irreverent enlightenment from a mother who's been through it. I want to thank you for listening to the show. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and come to make light. Media.com, make light media.com, and you can, he- you can get all the show notes, everything else, give us a review. Welcome, all Stoics. Sure. And thank you for, for being part of this. And if you have anything that you want to write us about, whether it's Stoicism or mental fitness or about Jennifer's work, you should check out connectedparenting.com because it is amazing the, the amount of work, services, help tips, things that you can do to change the way you relate to thoughts and feelings every day, which is mental health, basically. It's wonderful. So connectedparenting.com. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We will see you next time.